Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. I'm Pam Kubiatowski and I'm joined here with Lisa Lorenzen. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Pam. All right, so today we thought it'd be interesting to talk about what's something interesting that we've heard recently? What, what's going on that we're talking to all these various peers and executives and what are they, what's top of mind for them? So Lise, do you want to start us off? What do you find interesting lately? Thanks. Yeah. The common thread that I've been discussing recently is how to operationalize a zero trust strategy. Mm-hmm. And that's a real shift because over the last two or three years, everybody's been talking about zero trust and talking about developing a zero trust strategy and trying to figure out what the map looks like. But now people are really setting out on the journey. We're seeing organizations that have started off, let's say during the pandemic, they shifted a lot of users into ZPA for remote access. We have companies who had all of their users being protected with Zscaler internet access, but they only had a small percentage protected with Zscaler private access because most of their employees were in the office. Well, the pandemic hits, they sent everybody home, they shifted everybody onto ZPA. Now we're starting to see a couple of trends. One is people are starting to come back to the office. And this is really ironic to me because the whole concept of zero trust, that term was introduced over a decade ago in John Kindervog's No More Chewy Centers white paper for Forrester. And it was really a narrowly focused white paper at the time. It was, how do we get the same level of visibility and control for an on-premise user connecting to a local resource that we have the capability to apply to a remote user? A VPN gives you a single ingress point. It gives you a tunnel to apply policies to traffic in the tunnel. But if they walk in the door and they plug into their cubicle, more often than not, you didn't have that level of control or visibility. Over the last several years that I've been having this conversation, the talk track has really been the definition of zero trust has changed. Applications have moved to the cloud. Users have left the building. We're more mobile than ever. And so the definition of zero trust has had to expand both to protect this expanded set of workflows and also to accommodate the reality that we need to protect the users as they surf the internet, that outbound traffic is part of the zero trust picture as well. We're not just protecting the resources, we're protecting the users. So we've come full circle. Now we're taking all of these telework and work from anywhere users, and they're starting to come back, which I can't wait, by the way. We have the same problem. We built this great structure for telework for work from anywhere. We want to retain the visibility and control when we go on-premise. And the Zscaler private access answer to that is a private service edge, where you can take our cloud broker you can take the heavy side of SASE, right? The cloud intelligence, the decision-making, the policy administration, and you can virtualize that and run it inside the enterprise security boundary. Now, when a user comes to the office, they have a seamless, transparent experience. It looks just like they've had working from home and the administrator doesn't lose visibility or control, but this is not easy to accomplish. And I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot to think about because traditionally we haven't structured our office workflows and environments to go through a zero trust protection because it was so hard. Because if you tried to do it with existing network-centric security controls like 802.1x and Radius at layer two, or like identity-aware firewalls at layer three, that's a really heavy lift because you're trying to use the wrong abstraction layer. You want to control what user can go to what resource, but the only tools you have are coarse-grained network controls. 
bringing that back to your original question, I'm hearing more and more interest in a private service edge deployment. I'm hearing how do we bring this on premise? How do we move from maybe the more open connectivity policies that might have been put in place initially for application discovery? How do we make more granular context-based policies out of the visibility that we've achieved? So I believe that we're really coming into a period where zero trust goes from strategy and high-level design plans and a whiteboard discussion to implementation and phased deployment and operationalization, if that's even a word. <laughs> no, I think it is. I think you're spot on. It's really interesting. There were so many, there's this group of organizations that were thinking about zero trust. Let's face it. Everybody's been talking about zero trust for years. Mm-hmm. However, there were these groups of organizations that started their zero trust journey and they were on it. They got through whatever they were trying to achieve with zero trust. And then there were the others pre-pandemic that were, I think, in a way, afraid to jump on the zero trust bandwagon, right? And to rightly so. Thing, right? Because it's because this stuff isn't easy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, let's, let's face it. You can pick technology. These organizations have very smart people, but there's other pieces that have to change when you move to zero trust. You've got to look at not only the platform you've selected, but the people, the processes, to your point. How do you operationalize this stuff? I think the pandemic forced some into making some tactical changes, mm-hmm. right, that got them on the road to zero trust. They realize, oh, okay, this works. This enhanced our security posture, gives our end users a great user experience. And now I think they're ready. Some are going back to the office. Some are having talked to a bunch of them where, oh, we're going to be in the office two days a week, home three days a week, or they're doing more of that hybrid scenario. Right. Whereas by getting on that zero trust and finishing out what they may have started pre or during the pandemic, it's now time to really focus on what are the other components that will complete their zero trust journey. And it's funny too, because I was just at the Ohio Avanta and that was the topic. I had a fireside chat with John Graham Mm. from NetJets. Oh, John is great. He's implemented zero trust in a number of organizations, and he has some really great advice for his peers. The Avanta events are basically CIOs and CISOs that attend, and they actually vote on what are the topics they want to talk about. And they wanted to talk, and it was really about not only diversity and and all of that, but it was really about zero trust and how other organizations are on their journey or how did they achieve their journey and what bit them, what did they not think about it? Mm-hmm. And it really did come down to when you change a platform, when you change that mindset of what you're going to do from an architectural perspective, there are other things to your point that have to follow. And anyone, and I said this to them, anyone that tells you change is easy, they haven't lived through change. Yes. Right? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to identify things you never expected, right? A lot of these organizations have been made up of acquisitions and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you have those legacy debts, you have these legacy environments, you have validated environments that you can't touch. But I tell them, you know, I didn't understand why people before when I took this job, didn't understand why didn't people jump on this zero trust bandwagon? Why didn't they want to change? Why did they think, oh, didn't happen to us? Oh, we haven't had an incident. Oh, we're okay. Why do they think that's going to continue? And that they're always going to be okay? I just don't understand that mindset. I think though, until you've lived through it, until you've had ransomware or had a data breach or had an incident of insider lateral movement that even if it didn't cause any resulting damage, you still have the issues of compliance and audit and cleanup. 
it's easy to not feel connected to the problem, especially given that people see zero trust as a heavy lift. And I believe that's one of the areas that I think is finally starting to shift because honestly, I do think zero trust got a bad reputation very early on due to the complexity of trying to implement it with the tools that we had available when it came out as a concept. And I think enough adoption has taken place, but I also think the landscape has shifted enough. So we're really in a bit of a sweet spot where, to me, I believe you're actually better off trying to strategically implement a zero trust initiative today than you would have been three years ago. And it's a combination of the incredible advancements in approaches the ecosystem that's sprung up around it, the maturity of the identity providers, for example, the integration of the EDR solutions for more context and more protection in that respect. It's a combination of that with, we've all had to get more flexible to figure out how our workflows and our communications and access needs to happen in the pandemic. I'm not fond of the phrase, every crisis is an opportunity. It feels a little facile, honestly. But I do believe that if you are forced to rethink how you work anyway, that offers a chance to expand that beyond simply what do I have to do, but what is possible to do? Where can I take things that I didn't have the opportunity to tackle and maybe tie them to this work that I have to do anyway? And not in an artificial way, you know, not the way that political bills get laden with pork. We don't want to bring that model to cybersecurity initiatives. But I do think that the other realization is that zero trust enables such a broad range of use cases, enables or accelerates or simplifies. So I think that people are really starting to look at it from that lens. It's not how can I make remote access simpler? It's how can I make remote access simpler in the context of a larger zero trust strategy as a building block towards this bigger picture? I will say I've always felt that big financial institutions are some of the slowest movers on some of these large cultural technical changes. But I just had a great conversation with a major financial institution, and they said, we have a huge SASE initiative, and it's going to be one of these extremely long-term and complex initiatives, and we also need to improve remote access. So we are actively decoupling the remote access project from the SASE initiative so that we can do it more quickly, but we're still considering how it fits in. We're looking at it as related and maybe some of that low-hanging fruit. And I love seeing that way of thinking. It just, Mm -hmm. it makes me so encouraged for what organizations will be able to accomplish approaching it that way. I agree. You have to break it down into chunks, right? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it's overwhelming, number one. Number two, what are you really trying to achieve? Right. That's exciting to hear somebody breaking it down in that manner, because you also have to identify where is your biggest threat? Where is the threat that you need to really kind of shore up quickly, potentially for your organization? And it's nice to hear people thinking about it differently, thinking about it more, okay, I have a long-term goal, but I'm going to hit this tactically. Yes. Because again, people used to go ahead and just, let's face it, we all picked best of breed pointed solutions, but then we had all these various different solutions that you now need to figure out how they all work together. Mm -hmm. It's so nice that mindset change, thinking about, okay, let's focus more on a platform. Let's figure out how to get rid of all this disparity and start making that change. And I think also that's where I'm I'm loving seeing how Zscaler is going ahead and expanding, you know, not only with focusing on a user, but so much focus now is on workloads. 
Mm -hmm. And in addition, having the right visibility. Let's face it, when you look at what tool am I going to use tomorrow now for visibility? And it was interesting too, because John had mentioned in the Avanta event, so many of us, I think it's the majority, would buy things, would buy tools. Mm -hmm. And we'd only use tools for these specific reasons. We never really used what we bought to the extent of what we could, yes. right? So many organizations, you piecemeal all this together to give yourself this visibility. And I think that's where I'm really excited about now ZDX, the digital exchange monitoring for Zscaler now incorporating visibility into ZPA and having that visibility into private applications, not just SaaS-based applications, where the technicians don't have to jump around and think about what am I gonna use to, to get the right visibility to see what's occurring. And I think that's exciting for me, looking at where ZDX is going and how they're looking futuristic into what else will ZDX bring us. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed having Sanjit join us a couple episodes ago to talk about that visibility and talk about the opportunities that it opens up. Another aspect that we're enhancing with ZPA that I think feeds into some of the same larger trends is the machine learning and the mm -hmm. ability to suggest how to move from application discovery to more granular application groupings, more granular access policies. The third rail of zero trust has always been it's not, can I write a policy to connect a user to an application? It's how do I figure out what users need access to which applications? Mm -hmm. And the first step to that was the application discovery component that's been present in ZPA from day one. But frankly, what we've done is we've built people haystacks and <laughs> figuring out how to then turn some of these advanced technologies like machine learning and artificial intelligence loose on that haystack and say, here's a set of hay bales. You can take these as they're recommended. You can break them out more granularly. You can integrate them into your existing groupings or policies. I believe that that work, you know, we've been working with design partners with our existing customers who are in that transition process from discovery to granularity. When that becomes generally available, I think it will be truly transformative for the mm -hmm. problem of how do I leverage the zero trust solution to its fullest extent? There's nothing wrong with replacing a VPN with ZPA, putting app connectors where your VPN gateways were, and using an open wildcard app segment, an open access policy. That is absolutely a good first step, and you'll still get all the architectural benefits of eliminating the external inbound listener and that corresponding attack surface, and eliminating the internal backhaul because you've got that single ingress point. So if you do nothing else and you just drop in ZPA configured exactly the way your VPN workflows were, there's still structural benefits for security, for risk reduction, for visibility. Very few organizations want to stop there though. And we are now working on the aspects of the solution that will make it easier. If you think about the zero trust maturity model, for example, from CISA, you might be starting with that traditional model and then additional granularity gets you to advanced and then tying in the API-based orchestration, et cetera, will get you closer to that optimal level. I think you're key, Lisa. It's all about, you know, how do I start enhancing that security, enhancing the visibility, all those things that deploying ZPA in that discovery mode gets people being able to go ahead and start down that path, start to make those changes with the visibility, with the enhanced security posture. Gosh, people are so much better off when they start on that journey than just keeping an open VPN. Any last thoughts? I would say, come join this conversation. We have our revolutionaries forum, CXO revolutionaries. 
And we've started to have discussions in that forum. How are you tackling tying together tactical problem solving with strategic zero trust initiatives? What's working for you? What isn't? What questions do you have for your peers? Because I'd like to take the wonderful conversations we have at these Ivanta type events and really have a forum to have those online. And I think that revolutionaries.zscaler.com, the CXO forum there could be that kind of watering hole, but it's really up to you. So I, my call to action is come join us, register with the forum. What's top of mind for you? I'd love to hear from you. And I think that's it for us for today. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, Pam. It's always fun to talk with you and I will look forward to doing so again in the future. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.